This is Audio Gyan and I am your host Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today we have Sumana Chandrasekhar with us on Audio Gyan. Sumana is a Karnataka vocalist and a ghattam player. She has studied vocal music and ghattam under Vidushi Rupa Sridhar and Vidushi Sukanya Ramgopal. She currently works as program lead at India Foundation of the Arts. Sumana has also been part of the core team that designed the music education component of Kali Kalisu, an arts education teacher training initiative. She conducts music and sound workshops for teachers, educators and trainee teachers. With Sumana's such diverse body of work, I thought I'll intentionally confine it to Ghattam. Uh, today we'll try and know the brief history of the instrument gattam so welcome sumana to audio gan it's a real real honor to have you on the show thank you kedar thank you so much for having me here and uh, lovely work you you've been doing with audio gan thank you thank, thank you. you for this body of knowledge that you have been bringing into the world thanks thanks um so yeah as i said uh, we'll we'll sort of try and document some bits of history of the instrument itself and feel free to maneuver the conversation because you being the subject expert i'm just going to nudge you with few questions which i have done from my basic uh, sort of background and and study um so i would like to start off with like uh, a basic sort of a question to set the premise as to how did ghattam come to be as in like a brief history of the instrument um uh, anything that you want to share and and start off the conversation yeah so uh, before we come to the the specific instrument of the ghatam as we know it today uh, we should first go back to you know when human kind started and actually the clay pot in any form clay as um uh, as something that is used in a musical instrument is really one of the first things that we started playing um as human kind uh, so you will find that there are clay instruments clay pot kind of instruments in musical cultures across the world so um in asia in europe in africa all these continents across the world you have musical cultures that have been using the pot in some way or the other whether it is covered whether it has jingles on it or it has strings attached to it but basically the pot has always been there and that is quite understandable right in in folk communities or in other kinds of societies the uh, clay as a material is very um one it is very easily available and secondly it is the most inexpensive thing it's the it's something that everybody finds around them so um that's how the pot has always been a musical instrument and when we come to india again mm-hmm. again in indian in musical cultures across india you will st- you will find the uh, the pot so you have the note in kashmir for instance or you have the matkar the matki in rajasthan then you have the gummat along the uh, the west coast from goa maharashtra parts of karnataka all these have the gummat 
then you have the the khatam which we are going to talk in a little detail about then in haryana with this uh, with the uh, sang ragini and other traditions also there is a part that is played so you will again find this across india which is uh, which is a the way the most beautiful thing about this part um and the the ghatam as we understand it today has a very specific connotation right so this is the particular instrument that is integral to carnatic music today hmm. so when we are talking about the ghatam what we mean actually is the pot that is used in carnatic music hmm 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 so the ghat actually the word ghatam is a very generic word right it comes from the the sanskrit word um which means which is the pot it literally means the clay pot that is the ghata and from there you have we are all familiar with the ghat in hindi then uh, so it's the same word that has actually come it's the ghata okay and uh, in karnataka sometimes we call it the ghata or sometimes in tamil nadu and kerala it's called the ghatam but basically yes this is the instrument that we are today uh, playing in carnatic music hmm hmm but uh, like can you share then some nuances of like what were the initial iterations or or um, like how did we arrive at it because it has a peculiar form right yes it is hollow but it has got a peculiar form so so uh, how did it like arrive were there iterations or yes uh, how did it evolve so this is an interesting question actually about the tradition of the ghatam making itself i would say that we haven't arrived this is a form that is still uh, in the process of becoming but what it has gone through over the years is really very interesting so in essence in the most fundamental shape we all know what a pot looks like right it's whether it's the pani ka matka or it's an instrument you know that it has a basic shape of the pot now however when we are actually analyzing what these different parts might be there are these three um three parts to the pot if i can say you have the round belly part mm. which holds the hollow then you have a small neck like portion correct and then you have the opening on the top so these are the three main uh, main parts in some pots in some musical pots uh, the neck might be small or sometimes there is no neck at all it just has the belly and then there is the opening on top um, however a lot and of and anything anything to do with the base the base the base has to be not any particular really. shape so it's basically the belly is a round belly um Hmm, hmm, hmm. Oh, okay. So no, there is there no is base no, as no, such no, as a vase. It is like so you can't place it on the floor. Then it will just roll away. So you always have the like hmm. what they the simbi that they use for keeping tablas. That's the ring we always use to support the the uh, the ghatam. Okay. Um. So these are the three main uh, parts of the pot, and like I said, there are minor variations. Sometimes the neck portion is different. Sometimes it's a little. um um taller it it feels like it's a little stretched sometimes it is stout it's more stout than the other ghatams but what what must be taken into consideration is that 
The pot, of course, it has had many iterations over the years, at least over the last hundred years. Um, the khatam has had several, several iterations. There are two main things. Uh, one is the coming of microphones into the into the concert space might have actually altered the way the ghatam is made hmm. because then the bass sound might have been reduced a little because anyway now we had mics to pick that sound up you don't need that uh, to be too loud so then the shape of it might have been slightly changed but um, i must here credit the ghatam makers and there are two ghatam makers families that I'm more intimately uh, connected with. One is the ghatam maker Ramesh, who, who, Ramesh and his family who make the Mana Madurai pots, the, uh, sorry, the Mana Madurai ghatams. And there is uh, Gopal and his family who make the Devanhalli or the Bangalore ghatams. So these are the two families that I am more intimately connected with and I must credit it to the genius of uh, these ghatam makers, I mean, in, in Ramesh's case, it was his father and his grandfather. Also in Gopal's case, it was his father who actually brought in the idea of the Shruti into the ghatam. So when it is a, it is a water pot, uh, you're not actually concerned about the pitch or the Shruti of the instrument. It's just a pot and it can be, it can have any kind of sound. The sound is not of priority. And that's how it used to be played. So when uh, uh, actually the, the families of these ghatam makers um, used to be players of these pots as well. In fact, they were the ones who start, first started using the pots in uh, you know local uh, village fairs, performances, temple performances, and so on. And they started playing the pot because they are a family of potters and this was the instrument that they had readily available. So they would just start playing it. So I, I know that Ramesh often tells me that his grandfather used to play the pot, uh, the matka in uh, their temple. So sorry to interrupt, but when you said uh, the Shruti was not important, what do you mean exactly? Because I mean, the 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 pitch at, at the or the scale at which the vocalist is performing yeah uh, the 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 may not resonate that it would be just like a some percussion sound just like a general pot oh interesting which may not have had shruti at that time but by and by as it uh, it, it started getting more and more refined and then they realized that okay this ghatam has to accompany an instrument or a vocalist and then it has to match to their pitch. They actually started experimenting with, okay, how do I make my ghatam to a certain pitch? Wow. Hmm. And that's, that's, I think, one of the most crucial parts of ghatam making, which is, uh, which is something that is handed down in the families. It is part of their oral tradition and knowledge system about how to make a pot for a certain shruti how to make a ghatam for a certain shruti. So um, that's what they've been doing. They've been improvising and improvising on that over the generations. And now, of course, again, the shape of the pot differs because now we have um, artists who say, okay, I need a ghatam that fits into the uh, luggage 
cabin of an aircraft. So how do you make the belly smaller and crunch it a little bit so that it fits snugly into that compartment? So these are different kinds. And mind you, all these also have aesthetic implications. Any kind of change in the shape of the instrument will automatically have an aesthetic um, musical implication. So all that has been happening. And of course, the the music, the sound, the aesthetics of the gatam is very much shaped by the gatam players as much as it is shaped by the artists themselves. So it's really a, a, a something that is going hand in hand, at least for the last 100, 120 years. Wow. It's so fascinating because it doesn't have those those strings or or anything to tune it also right it's just like it's, it's yeah. tuned it's like a flute in fact flute also can be slightly tuned but it stays the way it is for a pretty long time uh, so is it like similar case uh, the the mud the clay which is there it it doesn't right it doesn't like sort of get down or changes like how how sturdy it remains so by and large the ghatam is an all-weather instrument Hmm. Uh, changes in in air, changes in water conditions, changes in you put it in an AC hall, you take it in a very sunny place. By and large, nothing happens to it. Of course, over the years of playing, maybe there is minor change in the pitch of the instrument, and there can be very micro um, shruti uh, corrections that can be made by the use of water. So if you dampen the the pot like just give the ghatam a good bath and the shruti will come down a little bit or if you want to increase the shruti a little bit um, then there are other techniques uh, maybe put some uh, uh, glue inside the um, uh, the neck on the neck of the pot like the on the inside of the pot so but these are only micro corrections that can be made and like you rightly pointed out there's no way to tune the instrument as such wow on the face of it it, it looks yeah. sounds very fascinating and you said these ramesh and gopal sort of just two uh, two are these like gharanas or something like that or these are like individual <laughs> yeah in a sense you are right actually they are like gharanas because each of these families um, have been making ghatams at least for about 100 years now. Oh. Their fathers and grandfathers made these ghatams. Um, and what is fascinating is that both the, the, the Bangalore ghatam, which is represented by Gopal, and the Mana Madurai ghatam, which is represented by Ramesh, um, both these places have only this one family been making gatams for the last hundred years that's, that's why why didn't it like why as in like across south india you're saying yeah across south india i'll talk about it maybe um do you want me to talk about it now or maybe we come to it yeah please please go ahead please go ahead <laughs> uh, just to give it a flow sure all right so the the ghatam has been made across south india of course um the major centers of ghatam making uh, in the recent decades have been Madras, that is Chennai. Then we have the, the uh, Bangalore Ghatam or the Devanhalli Ghatam. And we have Manamadurai Ghatam. There used to be also these other minor centers of Ghatam making, which include Pondicherry, Tirunelveli, and some regions in Andhra Pradesh. However, um, as far as I know currently, uh, most of these 
places do not function. So there are of the and of the three places that I mentioned, which is Madras, Bangalore, and Manamadurai. Manamadurai has been the one that has been flourishing at the moment. The Bangalore um, Gatam is also slightly on the downside. They haven't been doing very good, but anyway, they are pulling along. I don't know about the Chennai Gatam uh, anymore. Last I heard was that the family has really uh, left their business and they've gone, moved on to do other things. But anyway, the Bangalore Gatam and the Manamadurai Gatam are still sort of available to us today. Mm -hmm. And and you also mentioned about, as in we spoke about this, not able to tune it, right? So is there a specific kind of clay? Because in one of your YouTube talks, I was also trying to understand there are very select places in India where you get this sort of sand, as in like this sort of clay or, or mud, uh, if you can talk about that a bit. Yeah, so one of the most important qualities for a ghatam is that it has to have a certain ring. There has to be a certain element mm. of uh, a metallic content in the clay so that it can produce a musically resonant sound. Otherwise, it can have a very dull, um, dry sound, which is not suitable for music, mm. right? Maybe so, because of that, that, that vibration at a very particular frequency yeah. I think is required. Yeah. yeah. And for that, we need ferrous rich clay, which means that the clay has to be rich in iron content or, or metal content in general. Mm. And this kind of a clay is not available, of course, everywhere. It either has to be a river bed or it has to be a lake bed. Hmm. And you can't mix it. Uh, uh, I don't think <laughs> it has been mixed in the past. For instance, um, uh, the Bangalore Ghatam or the Devanali Ghatam is made from uh, the lake bed, from the clay taken from the lake bed. Whereas the Manamadurai Ghatam is made from the uh, river bed. And the, the river Vaigai flows through that region. Um, and the, actually, there are different kinds of clays that are also mixed. So it's not just one clay from one particular place only. In the case of the Manamadurai Gatam, there are about seven, eight places where the clay comes from. So it's around uh, a radius of about 10 kilometers. And this clay from different parts um, uh, come together. They're all mixed in a certain proportion and then they are turned on the wheel. So every kind of clay actually has a particular function um, in the instrument. So there's one particular clay that gives consistency. One particular clay acts as a binding agent. Another clay gives sound. Another kind of clay gives maybe the color. So there are, each clay actually has a purpose. And something else might give a more kind of resonant quality. Uh, it's important for the tonality of the instrument. In addition to this, in Mana Madurai, they also add to the clay a certain kind of metal uh, powder mixture, which of course is a trade secret. Uh, it's, it's made in a certain proportion and I'm sure there's brass and copper and iron and a lot of other uh, metals, uh, metal powders that are mixed in a certain proportion and then that mixture is added to the clay. Hmm. And then the gutam is made. So actually when we have our gutams, we can see those very micro pieces of, gra of uh, brass that are sometimes shining on it. 
Nice, beautiful. And and yeah. is there uh, as in I don't know whether anybody has touched upon that aspect that certain instruments like sitar or or uh, mainly the the string instruments the framework is set but you are given more room to explore with like uh, rudra veena you have this this peacock uh, where you can like explore the aesthetic part of it uh, but whatever my exposure has been the the ghatam typically uh doesn't have any ornamentation around it the mainly the aesthetic part is it conscious is it like are there experiments done on that front very much like i said it's truly the genius of these ghatam makers uh the manamadre ghatam maker uh, ramesh has actually made you know uh, images of gods images of my guru have been embossed onto the ghatam Wow. And they nice. actually look quite beautiful. Um of course it does impact the musical aspect of it. So I don't know if many of these gatams are playable in the concert in that sense, but of course I know Vikku sir I think has actually used one of these gatams to play in a concert. Of course they are playable. But you know you are just worried that it will damage the ornamentation and you can't play with as much freedom but in terms of ornamentation there have been a lot of experiments and the makers are constantly experimenting it's not just the artists mm. the makers are also doing that beautiful and and how does it wear and tear generally like what happens to it when it's sort of i'm i'm taking like a full circle before we dive into yeah, yeah, the other course. aspects here so well to to speak about it uh, you know very philosophically it's like the human body it can it can last as long as it lasts or it can die any moment <laughs> wow because it's of the like, brittleness is it brittle yeah, because it it is as brittle as any pot is hmm. uh, but the mana madurai ghatam actually is you know there are variations in these uh, different kinds of ghatams as well the uh, devanhalli ghatam is slightly thinner it is lighter and the, therefore the playing technique on that instrument is slightly different whereas the mana madurai ghatam is stronger it's much heavier and it's uh, not as uh, fragile as maybe the other ghatam uh but nonetheless all these are pots at the end of the day so even a very fine crack on the wall of the instrument can damage the instrument forever hmm. so it it could be a hairline crack or of course there are, we have had instances where the pot has just come out into pieces that also has happened and sometimes the crack can happen on the inside of the pot sometimes you can't even recognize why the sound has gone so bad and you are looking for it it would have happened in between the walls of the ghatam so sometimes you can't even you don't even know where the problem lies but anyway even a small hairline crack can change the sound forever it can damage it forever and then you can't recycle you have to just um, like as in that the mud can be sort of put in water back or <laughs> no that can't be done if it's a very tiny crack then of course we apply adhesives and try to fix it back and try to see that the sound is not seeping out of the instrument that the mm. sound is contained but if it is a uh, quite a big crack then uh, there's no way to recycle it mm. as at least no way to recycle it as an instrument God. you can probably 
have other ways of using it <laughs> yeah yeah just That's... use it as a water pot or something <laughs> yeah i mean because some of the videos uh, i think i've seen uh, viku vinayakam once live mm-hmm. but um, yeah a couple of videos and and the kind of like the the intensity at which it is played it feels that it's very sturdy but i know it's yeah. a skill we'll, we'll come to that uh, a bit later cool uh, so we'll we'll change tracks a bit sumana uh, i wanted to just uh, touch upon the other aspects of it uh, in fact uh, recently i was i'm trying to just follow ashok ranade uh, and and uh, he mentioned in his uh, entomusicology uh, talk that even instruments used to travel uh, horizontally i mean uh, there were like these upper caste brahmin who were not comfortable playing tabla uh, or or uh certain percussion instruments which had a very heavy leather usage right so was there sort of any time in the history uh from whatever you know that uh how, like when did this come in or is it was a was it a lateral entry or was it like a substitute for some uh animal based uh instrument any any thoughts there so uh the ghatam as we know it today in carnatic music would have a history of about 150 to 180 years um as a folk instrument like i mentioned earlier it's always existed but when it came into carnatic music is something that uh, it it may not be a particular moment it hmm. might have happened you know at different points and coming together but broadly from what i currently know from the little study that i have done in this area i i feel that it's about 150 to 180 years and um of course it did not enter on the level of the upper caste in the sense that other instruments did you know the other instruments were being used by non brahmin especially the skin instruments um they were being used by the um the uh, uh, musicians from the 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 traditional music communities uh, which included the devadasi communities and so on and then it was around 1910 i think when the first ever brahmin mridangam players name got recorded and around that time ghatam players had also started playing there was a small number of people who had started playing the ghatam but in 1972 uh, there is a lovely research that has been done by one of the greatest musicians and musicologists his name is rangara manojaingar uh, he's written quite a lot about music and he um, he did a some kind of a census i would say um, it's it's he's also quoted in a paper that's called um, 100 years of music in madras um so in that paper one second i'll just tell you the names of these authors sure uh, yeah the paper is called 100 years of music in madras a case study in secondary urbanization Uh, and this is authored by Kathleen Lamont and Adrian Lamont so in this paper 
these authors have mentioned that in 1972, Rangaraman Jayangar, in his book on South Indian music, did uh, some sort of a caste analysis. And he says that he took a sample of 10 people, 10 Khatam players, and all of them happened to be Brahmins. Now, also, I have noticed that in my study, um, I have only come across, I think, uh, Brahmins who have played this instrument. And there are multiple reasons for it. Um, and, oh, I must also say that they were mostly Brahmin men who played the instrument. <laughs> um, so one of the reasons, even though uh, the, the, uh, the Mridangam was already played, like I said, in, by 1910, we already had a person from the Brahmin community playing it. Uh, but for several years later, with the Ghatam, it remained Brahmin men. And there could be different reasons for it. One is that people who, were, who wanted to play percussion, people from upper caste who wanted to play percussion, may have been resistant to the idea of going um, for the Mridangam altogether. Mm -hmm. Because it was, although there was a precedent, there was somebody who was already playing the instrument from the upper caste, they might not have felt encouraged to do it because it was still considered, playing on skin was still considered a taboo. It was a difficult choice for them to make. Hmm. That could have been one of the reasons. The second reason could have been pure economics. Um, playing the mridangam or acquiring a mridangam was way too expensive than playing a ghatam. Oh, is it? Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, and that difference in cost exists even today. So this is just a simpler, it's an easier instrument to pick up. And if you wanted to play percussion, then just simple to go and play a, a ghatam. Maybe that was one of the reasons why um, why several Brahmin men um, took to the ghatam. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And and especially you said about men, right? Uh, yeah. uh, would you like to touch upon like, we see very few women sort of in percussion itself. And again, uh, it sounds dated, but uh, Ashok Ranadi in his talk mentioned about like drums were uh, back then was like some symbolically considered as as women. It was not about the strength or it was not about the, uh, the muscular, the masculine strength to play an instrument but purely they can't play themselves metaphorically uh, so so any thought like any observations there with respect to why very few women and then uh, with uh, with sukanyaji and and any other person before that how did it sort of get into the women aspect so um yeah what you said um from ashok daranade's um uh, work is really interesting and Actually, if you look at folk traditions, uh, there, there, is, there are exclusive percussion instruments that are played by women. Or a few unities actually don't even have this difference about whether it's a man playing or a woman playing. They all just come together and as a community, they play uh, percussion instruments together. So the idea of percussion um, being synonymous with men, with male, is a very, um, I would say it's a classical idea in some sense. 
it doesn't exist so much in folk traditions mm. of course i won't go into the nuances of you know the differences that are there with the matka and the matki and all that that i won't go into but again of course the the idea of the folk and the classical itself is problematic i'm not even going into that <laughs> for just for the purpose of our conversation i'm just making these distinctions but yes uh, in classical music uh, it is somewhat rare at least in carnatic music uh, it's somewhat rare to find women in percussion and even now i think the the proportion of women playing percussion is quite less compared to men playing percussion um there are various factors um I, and i think one of the most important factors was the nationalist movement from what happened from 1928 to 1948 those 20 years that were leading up to india's independence and the whole remaking of the classical um that happened during that time has contributed immensely to this whole the, to the creation of this binary that women can do this and men can do this because one of the interesting things that i found is somebody like ms subalakshmi um was actually trained not just as a singer but of course she played the veena but she also had training in mridangam which means hmm. that um it was not actually forbidden for women to to practice uh, percussion at all so when did that break actually happen and if we try and understand that then we see okay these were the things that happened during the nationalist period in these 20 years between 28 and 47 48 and that was when a whole lot of remaking of tradition uh, the 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 whole definition of classical uh, who represents classical how is the woman seen in the classical music so all these things have have contributed quite a bit to to the way we understand percussion today yeah um, sorry if i may interrupt uh, yeah, yeah. it's i don't think so it's just contributed it is like whatever the the antonym of contribution because yeah. i i interviewed uh, avanti patel uh, recently and she spoke about the thumri art form being just like like taken a different angle altogether because because of gandhi ji's thoughts about music and Got and it. tagore's contribution and their world views of these these sort of male people having an imposition on certain forms of art yes. uh, i think that 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 we we lost like some glorious years i think during is that the correct reading that's yeah i think that's one of the readings for sure mm mm-hmm. um yeah what happened in khyal was very different uh, although they are interlinked i must say what was happening in carnatic music and hindustani music at that time did have common points Hmm. but they also took um slightly different trajectories hmm. Hmm. the process hmm. of of the making of the classical um took specific turns in both these cases okay okay mm-hmm. yeah. maybe maybe yeah, we can double click later on that yes, but definitely. yeah yeah so yeah talking about women yeah you want to continue so um it's interesting that you know when i've looked at some of these temples really ancient temples uh, temple architecture um and sculptures in a lot of these sculptures or even murals we do come across women playing percussion 
So it's not like, you know, it's something that we are doing now in the 20th century and nobody did it earlier. That's not the case. We've always had women playing percussion and, uh, and all these, you know, sculptures, murals, paintings from the medieval times or even earlier, um, or even literature, even poetry from the 12th century and so on is testimony for us to see that women have been playing percussion. So what has happened? Where is this black hole? You know, uh, and why have we arrived at this point now where the proportion is really skewed? So like we just discussed, there are several factors that have contributed to it. Specifically about the ghatam, when we look at these ancient sculptures, there are sculptures of women playing instruments that somewhat look like the ghatam. It's not, it's, it's really difficult to say, okay, this is exactly what it is, but there are pot-like instruments that women are shown as playing on them. Um, however, when we come to the, to the, uh, uh, to the last hundred years, um, like I said, women from the traditional communities, traditional music, music communities, did play percussion, but then after 1920s, we see that there is a there is a, um, a, a a reduction in the number of women that played percussion from these traditional communities, and it was also not such a good thing for for women from upper caste to be playing percussion because that was seen as being more masculine. So women from upper caste, although they started performing music they came up on stage and they started singing, percussion still remains sort of out of limits for them. So uh, in a context like that, in the 1960s, then there's my guru who comes on the scene and today she is, she is uh, considered India's first woman Ghatam player. And she's one of the uh, uh, most important, most prominent uh, exponents of the Ghatam in the country today. So, um, Having Sukanya Ramgopal man there on the scene is really, uh, it's, it's a milestone, I would say, um, not just in her own life, but in the history of percussion, in the history of Ghatam in India, um, her coming on to the concert platform is a really, in, really important milestone. Hmm. Um, of course, she's gone through her own challenges. She continues to face those challenges even now, but we are all part of this, you know, journey um for the ghatam and yeah it goes on <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so i'll i'll like just circle back on sukanya ji and also viku vinayakam uh but before that one quick question is that now is it sort of still an acknowledged uh classical instrument or still it's i mean it has got that stature of being pure classical I mean, if we if we get into what is classical and non-classical, that's a different problem. But yeah, traditionally speaking. So what is interesting about the ghatam, which is quite unlike, I think, other instruments, is that it has always resisted any kind of uh, labeling. Hmm. So what will you call a ghatam? I mean, it, it is a folk instrument. Yes. It, is it a classical instrument? Yes. Is it, uh, is it something that's easily accessible to anybody? Yes. So um, it is played inside homes. It is played on the concert platform. It is played in, you just have to 
um, follow hashtag Gatam on Instagram and you will see today the number of people that are playing the Gatam. And it's fascinating. Not all of them are classically trained Gatam players, but just the fact that an artist feels like playing the Gatam or is attracted to play the Gatam is, um, is evidence enough that this instrument is available, accessible, and is loved by a lot of people. So, mm. so it's actually this, the, the beauty of this instrument is that it is very fluid. Mm. It can move easily into any space. Today, you remove it from the concert space. You can still play it. I can sit on the street and play it. I can sit on a stage and play it. You know, it is very unlike, you know, uh, maybe a veena or a sitar Sarangi or something or a sarangi. there's certain there's an aura to it mm-hmm. i'm not saying one is good this is not about being judgmental okay. about it i'm just saying that as an instrument it is very fluid and flexible god it's it's somewhat like the harmonium or the flute they are also very fluid right i mean yeah, you, yeah. they move across genres you will find it in jazz festivals you will find it in you know um, fusion or in classical music in folk music it travels everywhere okay, okay. Yeah. yeah very interesting i have so many questions but yeah i'm i'm just trying to restrict myself to ghatam uh, cool so we can conclude with uh, one last question which is um, uh, people like Guru Sukanya Ji or, or uh, Viku Vinayakam uh, and many more have made this sort of instrument really popular, right? Uh, can you can you sort of talk about them? What were their contribution? Uh, yeah, any milestones or like how did it got this sort of uh, uh, yeah limelight, if I may call it? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, Talking about Viku Vinayakram sir first, I think, you know, in one of those interviews I did with him, he had such a beautiful thing to say. He said, I just brought together the the several playing styles and techniques that uh, my predecessors were using. So, you know, and to give an analogy, as he was speaking about this, this is the image I had in mind. Imagine there's a river coming down the mountain and as it comes down, it collects everything around it and just flows down. So that is what Vikusar is um, to me. He brought all the techniques, all the things, you know, there were different kinds of, so there's this 10 finger technique. There were many kinds of playings earlier. People would play with rings on their fingers. People would toss the gatam in the air and play. There were artists who would, you know, they were called in as, as a, 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 like, like a comedian in the middle of a serious performance. You know, you want some relief, then you'll call in a gatam player. And the gatam player will do some tricks on the gatam, throwing it in the air, catching it, um, playing uh, different kinds of uh, sound, producing different kinds of sounds on the instrument. So there were artists who had already put in some kind of fingering techniques and different kinds of playing patterns on it. So what Viku sir did is, he actually brought these techniques together and he gave it some form of a structure. It is also to the credit of his father, um, uh, Sri Hari Harasharma sir, 
who I've heard was, an, was a really magnanimous teacher and he was an incredible guru. He just, he had a lot of ideas about structuring this material. And I think it was under his guidance that he brought all this material together. And he, uh, he, he, he uh, uh, if I can say, he actually created a language for the Gatam. Not that the language didn't exist earlier, but he brought together this language that was scattered in a different, in lots of places. And he brought it into some form. And of course, later on, he's gone on to put the uh, Ghatam on the global stage, which is purely, you know, he was one of the first people to do it. And even to this day, Yukusar is credited with, with being the first person to, to go on to global platforms with the Ghatam. You know, this really humble instrument taking on stages with Shakti and all those other bands. It was a fascinating moment for the Gatam. And then comes his student, Sukanya Ram Gopal ma'am, who is my guru. Um, and what she has done is actually taken the work of her guru um, a little further. She actually brought out a book, which is titled Nadam, the Vikku Bani of Gatam playing. This is in the modern times, this is the first ever textbook for learning Gatam. So she's brought all of Vikku sir's lessons into this textbook. So anybody who, who, who any student of Gatam who wants to learn the uh, instrument can just pick up this book. And there are very detailed uh, fingering techniques and notations and how do you play a certain notation on the gatam? Everything is put in the book. That's a very important contribution she's made. The other thing is putting the gatam on the center stage. She is the first person who brought the gatam. Uh, so she plays uh, 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 multi-ghatams. She plays about six or seven ghatams, bringing raga onto the ghatam and using the ghatam as a melodic instrument, not just a percussive instrument. So she sits in the center with all these ghatams around her. And then there are the other instruments that are accompanying the ghatam. So she really flipped the idea that the ghatam is only an accompanying instrument. She brought it to center stage. That is another definitive uh, moment for the ghatam. And, also, and, and sorry, and sorry to interrupt here, but and this is a, a collaboration between, say, the Ramesh ji, the Gopal ji, and and then the Sukanya no. ma'am, or is it like because no. she's tuning it, or she's, she's not tuning it, so she's picking up gatams of different shrutis and putting to, them together in the form of a raga. Wow. Wow, I, I'm sorry, I've course, missed it. I've never are, seen it, but yeah, I'll definitely yes, check. Yes, I out. will uh, send. I will share with you some of those links, and it's fascinating what she's done. The the kind, and you will actually see that the gatam is actually a melodic instrument. It's no longer just a percussive instrument. Um, like and also like I was saying earlier, you know, it really defies this whole thing about being here or being there. The gatam is everything in that way. So here it becomes a melodic and a percussive instrument. So these are the main things also her role and her place in the history of uh, women and percussion in India is a really fabulous one. It is a journey that many women in this uh, country look up to. A lot of younger women who are practicing percussion today um, have her journey as a model, and they look up to her as a model. She's created history with this. So 
as a ghatam player and as a woman ghatam player on both these counts she's had a fabulous journey a journey that is superbly inspiring and uh, that will remain in history as, as as an important moment for the ghatam and for percussion in india absolutely i mean it's it's so so inspiring in fact i was just going to say that writing a book biku bani is is itself is such a big tribute and such an important milestone to sort of uh, the instrument itself and and its journey yes yeah absolutely <laughs> uh yeah i think this is a good note to end i have so many questions but i don't know like uh given like the time we have and uh, uh maybe i would like to have you again we can we can talk further nuances of it as we go along yes but, absolutely superb okay cool uh thank you um sumana for giving your time and it was really really wonderful having you and uh, all all sort of power and and wishes to take the instrument forward as we sort of progress in in our journeys thank you so much kedar i'm always happy to share about share anything about my ghatam <laughs> awesome cool. thanks that's it thank you thank you And that's it from today's Gyan session. For show notes and more Gyan, visit audiogyan.com. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at audiogyan moments on Instagram. Until then, take care. It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutia is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcast.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com/ivmpodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League program and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks guys, without you this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website. 
or wherever you get your podcasts from.